Well, good morning, Friendship Baptist Church. So good to be here with you today. And um, let's continue praying for Pastor Keith. Uh, it was about two weeks ago that he asked me to be here on this Sunday. I was actually scheduled to be in Buena Vista, Virginia, but I was able to talk to that pastor and he uh, was able to rearrange some dates and reschedule me for a future date. And I was talking to somebody this morning, and this is actually the first time that I've ever preached at the church where the message wasn't missions-oriented. Uh, so I've preached admissions conferences, missions emphasis services uh, throughout the years, for about 20 years at this church. But I can't recollect ever being here and not preaching a missions message. And I guess in a way, all messages are tied into the mission that God has given us. But it's just so good to be here this morning to be able to share uh, this series of messages. We're talking about who we are, who we are as a church, Friendship Baptist Church. And so today we're going to use those pronouns, we or are. And although I'm not a member of this church, I feel as if I'm a part of this church. As many times that I've been here, uh, the deep friendships that I have with so many people uh, that are part of this church, and really just this past year being here at the Missions House to be able to share this time with you. So if you are here today and you did not get one of these last week, uh, there's a whole bunch of these outside in the foyer. And Pastor Keith presented this last week, and he just gave us an overview of the contents of what is in this brochure, which is the 2024 vision, the 2024 vision. And we're starting out the year talking about, hey, where are we going? Where is God leading us? Of course, we know we're celebrating 75 years of the life of this church. And when we think about 75 years of the life of this church, it's really 75 years of God's life through the people of this church. It's not about this building. It's not about this location. It's not about any of that. It's about what God has done in and through the many people, the many families that have come through this place. And so we're talking about the series, Who We Are. Now, I'm just going to kind of recap some things that we talked about last week. Uh, Brother Keith wanted me to spend some time here this morning just giving an overview, uh, again, of what he presented last week. So, really, the, the staff and the team here at the church, uh, they spent uh, several weeks and possibly months at the end of 2023 uh, looking at three things. Uh, who are we as a church? Who are we as a staff? And where are we inserted in what community? In other words, our community, our church, and our staff. You know, this church is uniquely uh, placed by God in this community. And you may be a member of this church, and you may live in a different community. In Harrison, you may live in Indiana, you may live in Kentucky, but wherever you live, regardless of that, this church is inserted, it's placed right here in this community. But what makes this church unique? What makes this church, what's the heartbeat of this church? And those are many of the things that the staff of the church discussed at the end of 2023. And we wanted to answer as a staff five questions. Hey, what are we doing? How are we doing it? Uh, why are we doing it? Uh, when will we arrive? And where is God taking us? And so we introduced last week some of these banners. And up here on the right where it says, our mission. Uh, everybody look up there, our mission. Our mission answers the question, what are we doing? 
And, you know, we're doing a lot of things. There's a lot of ministries here at this local church. But really all of it is centered around this idea of helping people meet, model, and magnify Jesus Christ. Everything we do is to help people meet Jesus Christ. You know, they can't model Jesus Christ or be like Him or really magnify Jesus Christ until they meet Him as personal Lord and Savior. So all the ministries of this church are focused around helping people meet, model, and magnify Jesus Christ. Evangelism, discipleship, outreach ministries, even the Bible reading plan uh, that Brother Brent spoke about just a minute ago. It's, it's focused in on helping us model or become like Christ in our lives. So that first banner there, our mission, answers the question, hey, what are we doing as a church? What are we doing? And the reason we put it into a simple phrase is that so that every single person of this church, from the youngest, the smallest, to the oldest, could give that answer in the community when someone asks you, hey, tell me about your church. What do you guys do? Everybody should be able to answer that. So let's do it together, okay? At Friendship Baptist Church, we help people meet, model, and magnify Jesus. Let's do it again. We help people meet, model, and magnify Jesus. Well, that's what we do. Well, how do we do it? Well, we connect, we grow, we serve, we share. That answers the question, how we do what God has called us to do. This is our pathway. And the idea of connect is really connecting people to God and His church. So you have a vertical dimension, connecting people to God in the gospel. But also connecting people to God in the gospel and to the local church. That's this church. That's the local church. Introducing people to membership of this church so they can be connected to the body of Jesus Christ, the local manifestation of that local church. But being connected to the church, helping those people grow in their faith and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You know, I just came out of a Sunday school class where the Word of God was opened and the Word of God was presented authoritatively. It was taught. There was instruction. That is what helps people grow. But just not that. It's not the only thing this church does. This church has many ministries focused in on helping people grow. But people grow not for growth in and of themselves. The objective of growth is that so people can serve the Lord according to His leading and teaching. You know, all instruction should build us up into the likeness of Jesus Christ for service in the gospel in the community. So service, that's a, a pathway. And then lastly, share the good news of salvation with others. And once again, this is presented in such a way where each one of us can place ourselves somewhere on that path. So let me ask you, are you connected to God and the local church? If you're not a member of this church, there's an opportunity for you to become a member of this church. If you're not saved and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you can be connected to God through Jesus Christ. 
You can meet Him today. But maybe you're connected to the local church, but you're not growing. Well, that's the second step. That's the next step for you. There are many ways through which you can grow in this local church. Maybe you're growing, you're in a Sunday school class, but you're really not serving. You're not using your spiritual gifts in this local church. There's many opportunities. Talk to Keith, Pastor Rick, and they can share with you many opportunities of service in the church and through the church in the community where you can share the good news of salvation with others. Now, that's what we do. Helping people meet, model, and magnify Jesus. How we do it. Connecting people to God and to the local church. Helping people grow. And helping people serve and share Jesus Christ in the church and in the community. But, how we do those things or why we do them is really the focus of today's message. That last banner there, we're going to kind of peel them off one by one, speaks about our values. Our values. You know, last week, Pastor Keith said, our history builds our future. Our history builds our future. You know, values are something that everybody thinks they have, at least to a degree. But they're best seen not in declarations, but in actions. You know, you think back on 75 years, and I don't know the history of 75 years as much as many of you here today. For many of you, you were there as small children, teenagers, young adults. Many of you were married in this church decades and decades ago. And you know the stories, you know the people, you saw the values lived out. And maybe 75 years, 50 years, 25 years ago, they didn't have these banners and they didn't have these phrases of connect, grow, serve, and share. But essentially, the church did the same thing. Nothing actually has changed over the years because they're rooted in values. Values is what gives us direction. You know, the most basic definition of values is that they are a set of beliefs that influence how you live your life. They are ideas that are important to you, to your personal characterize. You as an individual, if I know you well, I can spell out what your deepest set of values is. Values play an important role in shaping, listen to this, how we respond to situations and how we set goals. You know, everything is changing and everything is changing fast all the time. Think about the changes just within the last 10 years in our country. 20 years, 30 years. As we look around the landscape, socially, culturally, politically, in every regards, the landscape is changing and has changed. But the only thing that anchors us in to knowing how to respond to the change around us are a set of values. What we hold dear. Values answer the question, why we do what we do. 
We don't do what we do because things are changing around us. We do what we do because we're anchored to a truth greater than us. That's the idea of values. So as I answer this question today, why we do what we do, and as the staff preaches on this subject over the coming weeks, we're going to use those pronouns, we, us, and ours, to discuss values. Because we're really discussing our collective values as a church. But here's a warning. Don't be deceived into thinking that these values are your individual values simply by virtue of the fact that you are a member of Friendship Baptist Church. What's going to be shared today, what's going to be shared over the next several weeks is our collective value as a church. But individually, you must take ownership of that value and make it your own. You know, the matter of values is going to be declared here as a collective voice, but it boils down to a personal choice. How do you know what your values truly are? Well, they're evidenced in how you live your life. Show me a man's life, and I can tell you what he values. And in the same manner, show me a church's life, and I can tell you what it values. You know, I was driving around this past week, and it just kind of, for some reason, I just started noticing the churches that are near this church, okay? And I don't know every street, every neighborhood within a mile radius of here, or even half a mile, but I know within half a mile radius of here, I personally know that there are seven churches. Seven churches. And if you were to walk into those churches, most likely you have some sort of declaration of values. Yet, the life of that church doesn't necessarily reflect the declaration of values of that church. As we discussed the day, our first value, which is the Bible guides us, I want to just share with you the Friendship Baptist Church doctrinal statement or positional statement as it's been approved by this church. You can read the full statement on the website, but the portion on the Scriptures, on the Word of God, which is our first value, says this. The Holy Bible was written by men, divinely inspired, and is God's revelation of Himself to man. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It is God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. Therefore, all Scripture is totally true and trustworthy. It reveals the principles by which God judges us and therefore is and will remain to the end of the world the true center of Christian union and the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and religious opinions should be tried. All Scripture is a testimony to Christ, who is Himself the focus of divine revelation. This positional statement that this church has adopted is shared to some degree or another with approximately 80,000 plus Baptist churches across the United States. But a positional statement is not a value. 
You see, a value is not what is stated only, but rather what is stated and lived out. Let me illustrate what I mean by sharing the discoveries from a most recent State of the Bible report. So the Barna Research Organization annually does a large research project, and they name that research project the State of the Bible Report. And basically this uh, research, they want to in some way, you know, um, find out what people's relationship is or belief is in regards to the Bible. And so they research thousands of churches and individuals throughout the year. Barna reports that over half of the United States adult population says that the Bible is without error. 75 of Americans claim a view that regards scriptures as the word of God. 55% of Americans hold what is known as to be a high view of scripture, which deems the Bible without error. Now listen to this. 71% of Americans claim a view that regards scripture as the word of God. Are you surprised by that number? I am. You know why we're surprised? Because when we hear that, it doesn't match what we see. It doesn't match what we see. I want you to think about it. If it doesn't surprise you, think about this. 71% of the state of Ohio, 71% of Cincinnati, 71% of Colerain Township, over half of where you live, Wait a second, something's not, something isn't right. Something isn't right. Anyone looking at the present state of affairs in our city, state, and country would conclude that we have a very serious moral and spiritual problem. You know, the research from the Barna Group suggests that a large share of the nation's moral and spiritual problem isn't and cannot be attributed to their belief or unbelief in the Word of God, but can be attributed to their biblical worldview. Now, what is a biblical worldview? A biblical worldview is someone's capacity to take information or knowledge from the Word of God and to be able to then see the reality of life around them in such a way that's explained by the principles therein delineated in the Word of God. So they've read the Bible. They've been transformed by the Bible. Now they see through the lenses of Scriptures who the world is and who they are in that world. The findings from a recent national survey, and listen to this, show that only 4% of the same adults have such a biblical worldview. That's astounding, folks. 71%, yes, I believe in the Bible as the Word of God. 4% were able to take the Word of God, understand it as authoritative, be transformed by the Word of God, and see the world around them through the lenses of Scripture. You know, Barna, George Barma, concluded this. 
If Jesus Christ came to this planet as a model of how we ought to live, then our goal should be to act like Jesus. The primary reason that people do not act like Jesus is because they do not think like Jesus. Behavior stems from what we think. Our attitudes, and listen to this, our values. That's what we're here discussing today. We're discussing our values. And although most people own a Bible and know some of its content and believe the Word of God as the Word of God, most do not live as if it is the Word of God. Now, for us not to think that, well, that's someone somewhere, but not here. The same survey discovered that only 8% of born-again Christians from Baptist churches across the country possess a biblical worldview. Now, what difference does it make, you might say? What difference does it make if you have a biblical worldview or not? If you can take the Word of God, absorb it, be transformed by it, and live it effectively in the community. Listen to this. One of the most striking insights, and folks, we're going to get to the Word of God, the preaching. This is just all introduction. It's a long introduction, but a very needed introduction. The most striking insights from this research was when they looked at the divergent views and lifestyles of people with or without a biblical worldview. When comparing perspectives of those who had and did not have a biblical worldview among born-again Christians, this is what they discovered. People with a biblical worldview were 31 times less likely to accept cohabitation People with a biblical worldview were 18 times less likely to endorse drunkenness. People with a biblical worldview were 15 times less likely to condone homosexual relationships. People were 12 times less likely to accept profanity. And 11 times less likely to accept adultery as morally acceptable. Once again, these are not stats comparing Christians to unchristians. It's simply comparing stats to people in church who possessed a biblical worldview as compared to people in church who possessed a high view of Scripture, yet no biblical worldview. That is why our value declared today as it's up there. You may not be able to read it. It's small. The Bible guides us. We declare that the Bible guides us. Now we could do an entire series just on this point. The Bible. The Scripture. The Scripture has a lot to say about Scripture and about itself. But today we're just going to look at one verse. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. Hebrews Chapter 4 and verse 12. As you're opening your Bibles today, just want to ask you to come to this table to sup on God's Word. And whether you've been a member at this church for 50 years, 25 years, or you're a visitor here today, 
the end of this message, allow the Holy Spirit to work in your heart and your life and respond to the Holy Word of God today. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just, uh, I just come here today and I ask that you speak to the hearts of every man, woman, boy and girl that's here today. Allow your word to go forth and allow it to produce fruit in the, in the, in the hearts of the hearers. Allow us to respond in accordance to your will, to your word. In your name we pray, amen. You know, there's a lot of text of scriptures that could be chosen for this, this particular message. The, the word of God, the Bible guides us. But as we come to this text of scriptures today, and we just consider this one verse, it starts out for the word of God. When it's speaking here of the Word of God, it's just speaking about God's general revelation over time. But our primary exposure is through His written Word, the Bible. The Bible that you hold in your hand today. We learn in Scripture that the Word of God is quick or alive and powerful or active. It not only lives, but it works. So today we're going to explore these two characteristics of God's revelation to humankind. First of all, the Bible says that the Word of God is quick. The original Greek word translated here, quick, is living or alive. It means to have life. It is alive. The Word of God is alive because our God is a living God. Hebrews 3 12 tells us that. Folks, we don't serve a dead God. We, we don't serve a Messiah that lived and was buried and we can still visit his tomb somewhere around the world, such as is the case with every major world religion and cult. You can go to a place and you can say, hey, here is his tomb. This is where he is buried. No, the Word of God is alive because our God is alive. Jesus said in John 6, 63, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. The words of Jesus Christ, the Word of God that you have, it is not only alive, but it is life itself. It transmits life and it makes life out of dead things. The parable of the sower, Jesus compared God's word to seed. We see that in Matthew 13. Seed, like the word, is a living organism that when spread and planted in fertile soil produces abundant life. You know, you and I Christians were made alive spiritually and eternally because we are born again. Not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. 1 Peter 1.23 
Folks, the Word of God is alive. It can do that and much more. We wouldn't have time here today to discuss all the passages of Scripture in which the Word of God is manifest as something that gives life because it is life, because it is alive, because it proceeds out of the very mind and mouth of God. The second thing we see in this passage is the Word of God is powerful. The verse says it is quick and it is powerful. The idea here in the original is that it's effective, powerful, producing or capable of producing an intended result. The idea is this, that it produces something. You know, the Word of God produces something. It's vibrant. It's dynamic. It's energizing. It is productive. It's not static. It's not idle in the lives of genuine believers. Rather, it is alive. You know, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, in Paul's letter to that church, he says this, that the Word of God was at work in those who believed. It's at work in us. In other words, the more we are exposed to the Word of God and in the Word of God, the more the Word of God works in us to produce in us the fruit that is pleasing to God and through us the things that please Him in service and in sharing. God's Word is powerful not only to give life, but to deliver warnings, to bring judgment, and to punish disobedience. You know, in Jeremiah, there's an interesting passage in chapter 23, and it says this, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? You know, God's living word is not something to read or listen to passively and then forget. James taught the Christians to look into God's word intently into the perfect law of liberty that gives freedom. James 1.23 You know, Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all Scripture, all of Scripture, from start to finish, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God... Now, the man of God isn't the pastor. It's not the missionary. It's everyone who is a Christ follower. Everyone who has come to faith in Jesus Christ. The man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The idea here around that idea of the man of God may be perfect and thoroughly furnished is lacking nothing. Hey, what do you lack in your life? And where are you seeking out what you're lacking? Look no further than the Word of God for your life. The Word of God is sufficient to make you complete for God's service. You know, if we let God's message do its deep work inside of us, it will change our character and our behavior. Amazing things happen when God's Word goes forth. It is fully capable of accomplishing its purpose. And hey, God's Word, it has a purpose. 
And that purpose can't be twisted for your own benefit. No, God's purpose always points to the glorification of Jesus Christ and the advancement of God's kingdom in us and through us as we live out our lives in this world. Isaiah 55 tells us something about that in verses 10 and 11 when it says, For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. That is the word of God. You know, on the day of Pentecost, when Peter stood up and preached the gospel message, you know, he was a simple fisherman, uneducated, probably not very eloquent, but he preached the word of God. And the Bible says in Acts 2.37 that they were cut to the heart. And the result was 3,000 people came to faith in Christ on that day. As we look at Hebrews 4.12, it also says that the Word of God is a sword. You know, the author of Hebrews describes the Word of God as sharper than any two-edged sword or double-edged sword. You know, Paul called it the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God in Ephesians 6.17. You know, as a sharp, double-bladed sword, the Word of God is our definitive, offensive weapon against the assaults of the spiritual enemy. I said offensive weapons. You know, as a Christian, we're never to be on the defensive, but we are to be always on the offensive. And the reason why is because our general and our captain is Jesus Christ. And He has vanquished our foe. You know, we have nothing to fear unless we're doing it in our own capacity. Unless we're fighting with our own abilities, our own gifts, and what we think to be effective tools and strategies. You know, as a local church, when we think about that, our what and our how and our why, all the strategies that we've laid out as the vision for this church in 2024 and beyond. Really, it's to take the offensive in the community that we live through the people of God with the Word of God. That's what it's about. It's not saying, hey, we're so great. It's us saying the Word of God is powerful. The Word of God it's our instrument of warfare. It's our instrument to go out into the community. It's our instrument to combat sin and everything else that keeps us from effectively living out the will of God for our lives. Interestingly, as well, when Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness, Jesus wielded the sword of God's Word to counter the devil's attacks. It can cut through any obstacle to access or inspect our unspoken thoughts and hidden secrets. That's what the verse is talking about at the end of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, when it says it discerns, it cuts. Because the Word of God is living and active, Peter encouraged Christians to pay close attention to it. He says this 
in 2 Peter 1, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well to take heed as a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in our heart. Take heed. Pay attention. Pay attention to the Word of God. As a church, and individually, may we let it be a lamp to guide our feet and a light to illuminate our path throughout our lives. You know, we're, we're kind of land this message. We're going to kind of bring it to a close here today. But this is the most important part. Because I'm going to ask you to respond to a few things. I'm going to ask you to respond to a few things. As a church, we are here to affirm that the Word of God guides us. You know, this series of messages of who we are isn't just a declaration from this pulpit or from the staff of the church. Because if so, it's ineffective because the church isn't just the staff or what happens here on Sunday. If we're going to say, if we're going to say collectively, the Word of God guides us, then we have to be willing to say, the Word of God guides me. We cannot say as a church, the Word of God guides us, and then we leave here. And as that 8% of Christians who did not have a biblical worldview, or at least weren't committed to even understanding what a biblical worldview was, Maybe inside their churches they said, yes, I affirm, this is God's Word. It's an authority over my life. But as they left the church and lived out their days from Monday to Saturday, what happened in them and through them didn't reflect the lofty declaration of what they said about that, God, about that Word. Let it not be true here. Let it not be true among us. 75 years. That's a lot of water under the bridge. It's a lot of preaching from this pulpit. It's a lot of Sunday school classes. It's a lot of people making decisions for Christ. And only eternity will tell the impact that all of those men and women had on this community the city of Cincinnati. But right now, we're at the threshold of what lies ahead. And our history will build us into the future if we're willing to stop and we're really, really willing to say, where am I? What do I believe? Are you willing to say the Word of God guides me. More importantly, are you willing to live as, with, as if the Word of God guides you? As a church, we're here to affirm that the Word of God guides us in our teaching and preaching. We're here to affirm that the Word of God guides us in our pastoral care and counseling. 
We're here to affirm that the Word of God guides us in our administrative roles and responsibilities in this church. We're here to affirm that the Word of God guides us in how we help people connect, grow, serve, and share. And all that we do inside the walls of this church and outside of the walls of this church, we are committed to affirming the authority of God's Word over us. But as I stand here today, I don't want to make any assumptions as to where you are. That's your decision. But I would like to share a story from several years ago, an experience I had in the city of Sao Paulo in one of the churches that we planted. We had a member of our church, and his name was Carlos. Carlos was in his mid-40s at the time, married, had two sons. He had studied at seminary for a number of years, had graduated from there, uh, but was not on staff at our church. He worked a secular job, and he was just a volunteer, always volunteering at our church. And to a degree, he was a faithful member in the activities of the church. He was extremely knowledgeable. If you looked at his life, though, you would have observed something totally different on Monday morning. He would have been in the category of those affirming, yes, I hold a high view of Scripture, but he didn't have a biblical worldview. You know, I remember on an occasion, uh, I decided to visit him in his workplace, spend some time with him, and I saw in that little short window, small window of time, how he interacted with the other employees at his workplace. And I decided in that moment, privately, to say to him, to confront him on those things. And, you know, I was kind. I didn't make any accusations or judgment. All I did was just hold up a mirror. Just in, in grace, in as much love as I could, just to hold up a mirror to who he was. I remember that he was enraged. He was enraged. And I didn't see him again for two years. He just didn't come to church. But he reached out to me, invited me over to his house for a meal, and after our, you know, greetings and how are you and small talk, he said, you know, Jonathan, I was being informed, but I was never being molded. And God's allowed me to see who I was and who I could be. And I've repented of that, and I'm growing today in a, another church locally here. God allowed him to see what he had been blind to. The activism of church and information and if I need to know more, I need to know more of learning and learning and learning. God in the way of who He was actually meant to be. Christ! To those people in His community at home. Our values answer the why question. Why do we do the things that we do? Because the Bible guides us. Why does the Bible guide us? For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit 
and the joints and marrow, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. As we close out today, I'm going to ask the folks to come forward to play the instruments as we close an invitation. Where are you today? Where are you today? I'd like everybody to stand. Every head's bowed. Every eye closed. And I just want you to reflect on these, these questions. What's the reality of your worldview? You can find out. How do you interact with your wife and your kids? What's your home life like? What's it like to live in your shoes Monday to Friday in a place maybe where there's not a single Christian? Or maybe there is. Has your worldview been shaped by the Word of God? After asking yourself, what is? Ask yourself, hey, what could be? Oh, man, what could be? There's so much potential in that question, what could be? You know, while in England, D.L. Moody, he heard an evangelist, Henry Varley, say, the world is yet to see what God can do through a man who is totally yielded to him. Moody responded in saying, by God's grace, I will be that man. That was his resolve. What is your resolve? You know, as we close today, I want to invite you who are long-standing members, if you're a long-standing member of this church, maybe it's been years since you've been down the aisle, but I would like you to, in some way, where you're at or up here in the front, reaffirm your commitment to the Word of God and its authority over you. Would you be willing to say, yes, I affirm this once again for the next 75 years of the life of this church? You know, fathers and mothers and families, would you do business with God? Would you do business with God and ask Him to show you the dichotomy that you see or don't see in your life according to His will? Would you submit your family, your marriage, your house to the authority of God's Word? Lastly, if you're here today and you do not know for certain that you are saved, that you would spend eternity in heaven, come here this morning. Pastor will be down front. We'll open God's Word and we'll show you how you can know that you can know that you are saved. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, speak to hearts here this morning. And as we close, allow us to respond. Allow us to respond to Your Word. In Your name I pray. Amen.